Hello, and thanks for joining us on Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cyberspace and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. Close to two-thirds of cybercrime is going unreported. That's the startling finding from researchers at ISACA. A full 62% of security professionals say that enterprises fail to report cybercrime attacks. And that's even when regulations or the law requires them to. ISACA's research, part of their State of Cybersecurity report, suggests a few reasons, including staff and skills shortages, stealthier attackers, and a struggle to monitor all malicious activity on networks. Security Insights invited Ed Moyle, lead author of the report, to discuss the issue in more depth. But first, he puts the State of Cybersecurity report in context. The security survey itself, the State of Cybersecurity survey, this is a survey that ISACA has been doing for, you know, for a number of years. I, th- I think it's the sixth, seventh year, something like that, that they've that they've been doing it. One of the things that's interesting about the State of Cybersecurity Survey is that it's divided kind of into two parts. So there's part one, which talks about, you know, really kind of tries to explore the professional landscape. So things like staffing, things like budget, just kind of the the discipline of security. And then the part two of the report, which tends to come out later in the year, is really kind of a deep dive on threats and trends and, you know, uh, adversary tradecraft and and all of these things that, you know, are kind of the threat landscape and kind of the controls landscape of, of what organizations are doing. And this year, one of the things that I'm I'm really excited about is it's kind of a bridge between the two. So um, one of the things that really stood out in looking at the data was that uh, you could actually see how some of the threat landscape and some of the, the tactics that organizations were employing to help secure themselves actually played into, um, you know, they, they kind of fed off each other. So you could see where, you know, depending on budget, depending on, you know, levels of staff and, and things like that, you could start to see that in, in, in impact the number of attacks that were carried out against them and things of that nature. So this year's a pretty exciting one, I think. But uh, but I, I do think that the, the survey itself, you know, is really just starting to get into a good momentum because it's, you know, now it's been enough time that you can start to see some really good trending year over year. Um, but they also do try to ask new questions to keep it fresh from year to year. What stands out for you in this year's findings? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things that were really interesting to me. One of them r- relates to the attack landscape. So we've seen year over year um, a pretty, uh, you know, pretty clear increase in the number of attacks overall. So, you know, year year over year, you would tend you tend to see kind of like almost like a like a Kager, right? Like almost like a compound growth year over year in terms of percentage of increase. This year though, what one of the things that was a little bit different was you started to see a slowdown in terms of the 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 rate of increase. So while there are still more attacks this this year than versus last, you you actually started to see a decrease in the rate at, at which there were more of them. Um, so there's so that's interesting in and of itself, but when you start to unpack some of the reasons why that might be, it starts to get even more interesting. And the reason why I think, uh, you know, so so it's possible that 
you know, we've just reached a saturation point and attackers are at a, at a, at a point where they're just starting to naturally slow down just due to organic or emergent factors or whatever. Um, it's, that's possible, but not likely. What's, what's more likely is that we're starting to see a decrease in the observable attacks um, by virtue of organizations moving to external type models. So as organizations are pushing out portions of their infrastructure to cloud environments, um, one of the things that you would expect to occur is that you would see a decrease in the attacks that are visible to them at levels of the stack below which their uh, cloud providers are accountable. So for example, like if they make use of an IaaS uh, infrastructure as a service provider, you would tend to see correspondingly less kind of low level network type attacks, which you know, would be kind of the now the 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 burden, the responsibility of of of, of the cloud provider in a lot of ways to help mitigate against. Um, you know, likewise with SaaS, you know, you start to see attacks that are a little lower level down in the stack. They may lose some visibility into that. So, um, you know, so I, I think that data point's an interesting one. Um, I also think that uh, one of the things that um, you know that 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 you could observe is that uh, staffing directly uh, impacts. Um, susceptibility, right? So those organizations that struggled the most with finding qualified staff um, were also those organizations that tended to see the most attacks. The way that the, that question is structured, there's like five or six different categories that that relate to kind of gradations of how much they struggle with staff with staffing. And the more they struggled, the more attacks they tended to you know to have occur. Now, not all of those were successful attacks, of course, but just in terms of what they're reporting, um, they saw less if they had, which, you know, which makes sense when you kind of think about it casually, um, you know, just organizations that are struggled to, you know, struggle to keep themselves staffed. Well, it makes sense that they would, you know, probably struggle in terms of their security outcomes as well. But this is the first time, at least that I know of, that you can actually, you know, see that play out in terms of the data. Is that flattening of the curve, though, to some extent attributable to the attackers wanting to remain under the radar? And we have seen an increase in remote access attacks and similar where stealth is part of the program. They, they want to stay unobserved in order to exfiltrate data over a longer period of time or gain privilege access to other systems. It could be. I mean, so it's hard to tell from the data itself, like what's driving it. So the, the, the part about it being, you know, related to cloud, that's, that's, that's my analysis laid over that, right? So, so the data itself, it's, it's not clear exactly what's causing it. The one thing that I would say, though, is that one thing I'm really interested in about this is that this data, keep in mind, was collected before the COVID pandemic. Um, so, you know, the, the the data was collected before kind of we've seen this rash of folks who are now working from home due to social distancing and stuff like that. So I'm I'm really interested to see. I think it'll be very clear next next year whether or not that's accurate, because in next year's data, we would now be able to see the period of time after COVID. And what you, what you would expect is that now that organizations have become so much even more externalized, if that conclusion is accurate, if, if in fact it is the case that as you know, portions of that of the security operation function are pushed outside and pushed into service providers, you would tend to see that decrease, you know, decrease even more. So um, we'll know for sure, I think next year, whether or not that conclusion is accurate. But um, for this year, it's, it's a little bit speculative, I think.
One thing that is in the report quite clearly, though, is that organisations are not reporting the full extent of cybercrime or the full extent of cybercrime incidents carried out against them. The point being that cybercrime is underreported. Now, we may need to unpick that a little bit. Is, it, uh, is that underreported systematically, including by, say, law enforcement and regulators, or is that being underreported by individual enterprises or, or victims of the attack? But it still stood out for me as something that, why are, why are organisations not giving the full picture of the incidents that they face? The way that we asked that question, right? The way that, or the way that Isaka asked that question was was to ask those folks who are kind of in a security function whether or not they uh, believe their company to be underreporting or reporting consistent with the attacks that they actually experience. The potential challenge with that, right, is that I think it's less that there are organizations that say, oh, wow, we know of an attack and we're not going to report it, right? I mean, we know that happens because we, we see the impacts of it. Um, you know, so for example, you know, we see situations like what happened with Uber a couple of years back where, you know, they were attacked and they, you know, paid the attackers to, you know, to, to stay quiet about it. We, we do see that, right? But um, I think what's more often the case is that those folks who are in a security function they are able to, they, they know how much exfiltration um, goes on. They know about, you know, the, the likelihood of being attacked, you know, from their risk management type activities, their threat modeling and so on. So they know what that amount is. And then, you know, at least in the back of their mind. And then they also know what the uh, amount that they report on is. So in their mind, they can kind of, they know that there's a disconnect there, but it's almost like people say this about advertising, right? They say, you know, advertising dollars, we know we're wasting half, but we just don't know which half. It's it's kind of like that. They know that there's this underreporting going on, but it's hard for them to know specifically where it's occurring. So I, I think it's it's more of an it's more an artifact of the general kind of unpreparedness of organizations generally about security than it is about specific organizations who are willfully trying to avoid compliance with the law, for example. So it's not necessarily conscious underreporting then. Exactly. So what, aside from issues of resources and skills, which we'll come on to, are, are there particular reasons why enterprises might underreport incidents? I think the big one is is general, a general. I want to say breakdown, but that's not the right word. Kind of a a a, a general. Well, lack of preparedness, right, or, or 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 lack of resiliency in and around security. So, the the problem is this, right? And 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 this this will may take me a minute to to kind of give the full picture. But if if you if you consider where organizations tend to fall on kind of like a maturity spectrum when it comes to security, so most organizations can tell you, well, we spend X dollars, you know, from a budgetary line item perspective, they know how much they spend on security, right? Most organizations know that. Then you have, you know, the more kind of sophisticated subset that say, all right, well, we understand that we spend X on, you know, X dollars on tool set A, and we spend Y dollars on tool set B, and they kind of have that awareness of really what they're spending on a on a on a capability by capability basis. And I don't I don't just mean like what they pay in software costs or hardware costs or whatever. I I, I mean the full gamut of software, hardware you know, personnel time, uh, you know, kind of some of the softer costs associated with that, you know, to really kind of have a full understanding of, of where their budget goes. Um, that's even kind of a more sophisticated um, type of consumer. And then, 
once you start to get to very high levels of, of sophistication, you start to see that there are very few organizations that fall into that bucket. Like, so what I mean by that is organizations that can tell you this control that we have costs costs us X to operate in terms of, uh, you know, capital expenditure. It costs us Y, you know, in terms of operations. Um, it costs us, you know, uh, you know, here's here's what the cost is, and then here's what the risk offset is, because they have a full understanding of the risk, they have a full understanding of the threat landscape, they keep on top of changes to those things, and they're able to correlate the two, so they can get to metrics like, for every dollar I spend on XYZ control, um, I'm offsetting ABC amount of risk, right? When, when, when you start to try to build out a picture like that, it's it's really, there are very few organizations that have that level of sophistication. So I, I think it's kind of like, I think the root cause is that not that people are, are doing, not that organizations are doing security the wrong way necessarily, but I do think that there's a level of sophistication that we need to get to as an industry that's going to be able to help us solve problems like this underreporting. So, so meaning, an organization that has a very clear understanding of its risk and a very clear understanding of its um, of its costs and its capabilities and its maturity around those things um, can say, well, we, you know, you would think that there might be underreporting, but you know, we have such a a crystal clear picture of of what all's involved in our security posture that we know that that's not the case, or we know that it is the case, and here's where it is, right? Um, but most organizations just aren't there. And it's not for lack of will, right? It's almost like, you know, and, and I'll fest to this, right? For for years, I, I used to smoke cigarettes, right? I'm, I'm of an age where, you know, that was a lot less anomalous than, than it is nowadays, right? But, 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 and I, and I quit, right? And people would always say to me like, well, hey, the answer is simple. You just need to not smoke, right? And, and that's great for somebody to say that. And I could have all the will in the world, but that's much different from somebody laying out a pathway that I can follow to get from A to B, to get from A where I am now to B, the, the space where I want to be in, which is, you know, where I've transformed in some way. So, you know, in the case of security programs, I think that's it. People say things like do risk management. They say things like, you know, have an understanding of, of where your costs are and, and look at it from a capability view, point of view and understand your maturity and all those kinds of things. But even when the will is there, a lot of times there's like a lack of understanding of how to get there even though there's even though that there's that organizational will if that makes sense so i know that's a real complicated answer to the question that you asked but um i in my mind i think that's what the root cause is it's a complex problem but is it becoming worse is the percentage or is it is the degree of underreporting on the increase would you say i think it has to be um and 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 i say that for for two reasons so it's it's not entirely clear from the data right um, and the reason why is that that uh, you know this is I, I think they asked a really I, I think Isaka asked a related question last year, so you can start to see a little bit of trending. But I think in order to know with certainty, you would have to have trending year over year for longer than it exists right now in order to be in order to say like we see a trend and the trend is 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 X. Um, but I, I think if you think about it logically, that it has to be the case that it's on the increase. And, and the reason I say that is is two things. Number one. We know that you know attacker sophistication tends to increase. The threat landscape, the environment tends to get more and more hostile on a year year over year basis, right? Um, and then also there there tends to be an increasing compounding complexity uh, associated with 
the technology landscape itself. So if, if you think about if you were to go back in time 10 years ago, where you had like an N-tier app, right? Like, or you had like applications that were kind of built in like a traditionally architected on-premise kind of way. And you kind of use that as your baseline. And you look at what's happening now where you might have an application that sits on top of a container that lives within a, a container orchestration e ecosystem. And then those containers live on top of virtual machines that lives within a virtualization ecosystem. And all that's in the cloud. And you know you get layers and layers and layers of the stack. Each of those layers increase complexity. And at each of those layers, there's an opportunity for potential you know, attack and exfiltration. So I, th I think if you put those things together, you, the conclusion has to be that it's a, a nonlinear technological world that we're living in, the amount of incidents that get reported year over year, yeah, they increase, but they don't increase non-linearly, right? Um, or at least historically they haven't. So take those two facts, you have to conclude that that it's increasing. What are the consequences though for the organizations if they are underreporting, if they don't have that visibility? And are there any systemic or societal or economic or even national consequences to that if there is more cybercrime going on than we think or more cybercrime going on than we can identify? So I think that there is. So I, I think there are consequences. I, I, I think, you know, some of the consequences are, um, but I, I think they're subtle. And, and, and the reason I say this is that there's a, a, a gentleman, um, his, his last name is Akisti. Uh, it's, it, you know, he, his whole, business is, is studying the the economics of of, of security and, and and there's a, a a white paper that um, that he and a few other folks um, put out a couple of years ago um, about the an empirical analysis of the economics of breaches and the conclusion that they came to was that in the near term there's a very statistically significant impact on um, the stock price as a proxy for, you know, for organizational health, right? There's a very near term, very um, statistically significant impact on it. But over the long term, that the, uh, you know, the impact, at least again, using you know, stock price as a proxy for organizational health, tends to fade into statistical insignificance. Um, so if you actually look at the economic data, the, the, it's hard to to make a case on the basis of that alone that there's a direct observable impact as a result of breaches, but um, you know there's a few things that doesn't account for. That doesn't account for things like the direct cost to an organization as a result of a breach. There's you know the loss of goodwill, right? So if you look at something like you know Facebook, there's some metrics out there that suggest that Facebook usage is tending to, if not decline, at least you know kind of plateau. And so you, you could say, well, is that a function of some other factor? You know, maybe fa Facebook's less popular, or is that a function of, you know, some of the privacy challenges that they've had? Or you, you look at something like the Uber Lyft uh, adoption dynamics. Is it a function of, um, you know, just natural growth in the marketplace, or does it relate to, you know, some of the security challenges that that Uber's had kind of historically? And um, you know, so it's hard to make a case for it, but at least in my personal opinion, I, I, I do think that there is an impact economically. There's also, of course, a regulatory imp impact. You know, you look at things like GDPR and, and what have you, and you start to see, um, you know, potential regulatory enforcement action that, that could directly impact some of these organizations. And then also, of course, there's the, there's the logistical and operational one, which is, um, which is that when you start to see, um, you know, the security of the organization decline, well, 
um, you know, that has kind of a morale impact, which is harder to trace and an operational impact in terms of cleaning up and, and, and so on. So, so I, th- I think there is. And do you think then also has the nature of regulation contributed to this lack of visibility because you can be compliant, but not actually be secure? I think so. Um, I think that, that regulation does have an impact, um, you know, in part because, you know, there's a lot more regulation that's out there now. And then also um, the fact that some of the regulation is, is, you know, is fairly complex. You know, I think that tends to make security on the whole more complicated. And then the increase in complexity of security dovetails into challenges with reporting and challenges with ongoing operations and logistics and so on. So I, I think, you know, I think that has something to do with it, particularly nowadays where we're in kind of a uh, an environment where most organizations have more than one regulation that they're dealing with at any given time. Um, but uh, but again, in terms of tracing the causality, that's a lot harder to do. Like it's it's hard to, to lay it all at the feet of the regulatory cli- climate, um, but, uh, but I do think it plays a role. And again, if we're saying then, as the report seems to suggest, this is not deliberate underreporting, it's just that we don't have the transparency, we don't have the visibility. How do organizations, in particular at the board level, fix that problem? And it's going to require some investment. I think it is. I, I think there's, I, I think on the whole, organizations need to become more sophisticated in terms of their understanding of risk. Um, I think that's a big one. I, and the reason I say this to, to kind of tie back to the regulation question, um, the reason why I say this, so so as an example of this, um, the uh, Office for Civil Rights, um, the OCR, is the the body in the U.S. that's responsible for HIPAA enforcement, which is HIPAA being the the healthcare regulation um, related to security and privacy. And uh, one of the things they did, I think it was three or four years ago, was they did kind of an audit of covered entities to see. Um, you know, how well they perform from a risk management, in terms of the whole corpus of, of the regulation, but, but in particular, they also looked at risk management. And what they're finding is that even in these environments that have a regulatory requirement to do risk management, really nobody, not very many organizations were doing it at all or well in cases when they were. And I think that that's, you know, that's across the board, right? So I think risk's a big one. I think understanding of the operational and economic side, like, so for example, right, if, if somebody said like, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to run a uh, assembly line and we're going to invest a hundred thousand dollars in that assembly line. And that's it. That's as much visibility as we're going to have into that process. Like people would say that they were crazy, but yet uh, organizations as a matter of course, run their security program almost exactly that way, right? Where they say like their only lever is spending. And they really don't have a full accounting of, you know, where that money goes and how much risk it, risk it offsets. Does that then point to some underlying problems about the way that cybersecurity continues to be something that boards, organizational structures don't necessarily understand well enough? And also potentially that we haven't invested enough in the skills because it's those skilled people that would drive change here. I think skill is huge. I think skill, um, and this is going to sound harsh, but um, I, I, I used to say that, you know, really probably 50 to 60% of people who do security for a living really ought to be doing something else because they're, you know, there's, there's a skill deficit 
I think. There's a skill gap that people talk about, but there's also a skill deficit. So I think in general, security practitioners could, could, could you know, stand to, you know, um, we could bolster the, the workforce from a skill standpoint. I think that's important. But also, I think, too, don't underestimate the impact of it being a probabilistic discipline. And, and what I mean by that is, as a thought experiment, right? If you had a, a, a die, right? Like a, like a dice, you know, like a six-sided die, for example, that was like very subtly weighted so that 10% of the time, it was 10% more likely to come up a given number, say six, than, uh, than would otherwise be the case, right? So a very subtle shift in probability there. Um, how long would it take somebody to notice that that die was weighted? right? It's probably a very long time, right? You would need thousands and thousands and thousands of throws and then do frequency analysis on, you know, how likely each individual face was to come up. So, um, you know, that's really kind of the nature of the discipline, which is there's a lot of probability that goes into keeping your organization secured. And so when people do things like reduce investment or hire not the right people or lay off staff or whatever, you know, you can get away with that for a period of time because it's probability, right? So it could be, raising your likelihood of being breached, you're raising your likelihood of being attacked, but maybe something doesn't happen to you this year, right? So the, the direct feedback of a decision that you make that maybe isn't in, in the best interest of security, it can take you a long time to realize that. So um, I think as a discipline, we need to be better about communicating things like probability to the board level so that they can say, and, and do it in a, in a little bit of a pessimistic way, right? Because keep in mind that, that people, all humans have optimism bias. So people can say like, oh, hey, COVID is like, you know, it's one in a thousand people right now that are getting COVID, for example. I don't know if that's the accurate statistic, but, but, but let's say it is, you know, one in a thousand people. I'm not going to be that one in a thousand because, you know, that's something that happens to somebody else. It's not something that happens to me, right? But one in a thousand times, they're going to be wrong. And, you know, just communicating that and, 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 and making that, that visibility to the board is really hard to do. Um, so I think as a discipline, we need to be better about that. I don't, I, don't, I don't think boards are doing anything wrong. I think as a discipline, we need to be better. Well, it's a truism, isn't it, in business, that if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So in cybersecurity, if you can't see it, you can't defend against it? Exactly. Exactly, that's true. Ed Moyle, thank you very much. Thank you. Ed Moyle there on why businesses need to look more carefully at cyber risk and how security professionals need to communicate that to the board. That's all for this episode of Security Insights. We'll be back with our next show in two weeks' time on securityinsights.co.uk where you can also sign up and subscribe. Thanks again for listening.